This episode of Probably Science is brought to you by Startapod. Listeners to Probably Science can get 50% off the first year of an annual or monthly subscription if they go to startapod.com slash probably. Probably Science. Hey everyone, welcome to Probably Science. I'm Matt Kirshen. I am Andy Wood. Um, let's, uh, I, I want to get straight into our guest here, because, again, I, I would say one of the first people I met out in LA, 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 let me say that again, LA, that's how you pronounce the name of the city <laughs> we live in. It's a, it's a crime that we haven't had you on. Not only are you one of the first people I met out here, but your wife is possibly the first person I met because she was a producer on my season of Last Comic Standing. She was a producer on mine as well. Yeah, scandal. Scandalous. Yeah, scandalous. <laughs> oh, it's got, we're going to blow this whole Last Comic Standing ruse wide open. I know that's probably why I went so far. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just to be clear, she was not your wife at the time that you were on the show. She didn't know I existed when I was on the show. And oh. she, I mean, wanted very little to do with me back then. So, <laughs> um, Hey, uh, Kristen... Have we said your name yet? I don't think we have. No, 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 no. We don't know who I am yet. I could be anybody. I could be. I'm Josh Blue. So happy to be here. (laughs) What a terrible host I am. They call her Fluffy. It is comedian, (laughs) podcaster, showmaker, hilarious comic, and the uh, creator of the brand new comedy album that's just come out called Keeper of Feelings. It's Kristen Key. Hello. Hey. Um, (laughs) Kristen, uh, so on this show... You know, we, we talk about science, we're doing science stories. Obviously, there's the massive um, elephant in the room science story that we are mostly avoiding. We're generally trying to do non-coronavirus-based Oh, is that still happening? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Who even knows? We're, we're mostly avoiding it, although the odd thing does come up. And I, I, I'd be remiss not to just talk to you a bit about this, because when, when, when the story broke before any of us even went into lockdown when it was still a sort of bubbling story the big news story in the u.s was that there were it was on the cruise ships and there was one cruise ship in particular that was moored just off of land and the president himself was refusing to let it dock because it would affect the numbers of infected people in the u.s and i remember the jokes going around of like ah imagine what it'd be like to be the comedian stuck on that boat. So, that was me. Um, what was I like was the, the comedian, comedian stuck on that boat. <laughs> it was a lot like just being on a cruise ship in general, um, um, but with more downtime. Um, but yeah, that was that was daunting when the president said that. That was like, it, it made a situation that was like, oh, you know, a little nerve-wracking, like, oh, what's going to happen? We're unsure. And then he said that, and we're like, ah, we're screwed. You know, nothing yep. good's going to happen now. And, Are they um, just going to sink you now? <laughs> that's what I thought. I was like, well, then just torpedo us. You know, then your numbers will never go up because <laughs> yeah. we all died of torpedo, so not the virus. That's a really good solution. Um, but it was, yeah, the, the, the whole quarantine started for me about 20 days sooner than the rest of the world so i kind of had a i got to ease into it um i guess a little bit right because you you were first you were stuck on the boat and then they took you they eventually took you off the boat but 
you were quarantined in a military base, right? Right, right. They, we, I was on the ship for an additional, I think, six days longer than I should have been. Um, and we, we weren't even quarantined as much as they just didn't know what to do with this. So with they, so we were just there. Um, and then, um, but we were like, like confined to our cabins, like um, for safety. But then transporting us from the ship to the Air Force Base we were like sardined into buses, you know, <laughs> about as close to each other as you could get. And whereas right, like everyone hold on to someone else's tongue, just for basically <laughs> like I was sitting in an old lady's lap while she stroked my face. And, <laughs> and like, we had masks that like they were there, but as soon as we got on the bus, they were like, all right, we know you're uncomfortable. So here's some sandwiches. So it was like, what is it? Like, I didn't eat my sandwich. The lady whose lap I was sitting on, she was all like, like, I Lysoled my seat. I Lysoled your seat. I was like, all right, you and me, lady, we're going to make it out of this okay. Because we like, neither one of us took a drink of water. We never touched our mask. We're like, we're going to take this seriously. The guy next to us, like, took his mask off, ate his sandwich the entire trip, ate another, like, he just, whatever. Things were flying out of his mouth. It was, it was <laughs> terrifying. Um, so <laughs> you got to be close to uh, the typhoid Mary of, of COVID or something. I did. Patient able, X was sitting right next to me. Yeah. On the floor of this whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Matt and I were working on a show right as everything closed down. We got two thirds of the way through shooting um, the season. And uh, <sighs> and then it was also going to be the case that we would have two people coming straight off of the Joko cruise onto our stage where we were going to have a live audience. And then I was like, there's no way this is happening. This is right. like the week of right. March 13th is kind of when the stock market collapsed and everything fell apart. This was yeah. scheduled to happen on March 16th, I think. We were going to have, um, I think, one of the McElroy brothers who was coming straight off a cruise ship. I'm like, yeah. a, a, we're not going to be shooting this on Monday. B, we're definitely not going to be having someone fresh off of a cruise boat coming to our studio. There was just a feeling, there was some denial, I think, that we all went through in, in levels of it. it. That started for me on the ship when, you know, we were like, business as usual, we're on a ship, we've got some rough seas, we're heading towards Ensenada, and then like, oh, we're going to skip Ensenada, we might have had some coronavirus <laughs> last week. We're going to miss our last stop, but don't worry, we're going to go ahead and go in early, because we might have a lengthy debarkation, and all of us immediately go into this denial about it, like, yeah, lengthy, we'll be off by Saturday. It just didn't occur to any of us that... You know, the sky was falling because right. you don't want to believe it, you know, even though most of us that were guest entertainers had watched the Diamond Princess. Like, I, I knew the name of that comic because his story, right. like, got passed around with us because he walked right out of quarantine. He was like, nope, not That's doing it. I'm leaving. Right. <laughs> it was like the Seattle week before that guy. your story broke. I remember that. I remember being down at the Comedy and Magic Club in Hermosa where where I think we last worked together. This last yeah. Night. We were on yeah. the bill together. But, um... That was the talk of the green room. Well, Everybody's talking about Frank King. Frank King. He walked out. Yeah, he just walked out of quarantine. He was like, "No, I got another gig. I'm, I'm just gonna go. I'm gonna go do my other gig." And you know, people had differing opinions on was that the right thing to do, was it the wrong thing to do. But he did it, and then and so we like. I don't want to pretty firmly in the wanna... wrong thing to do camp. Yes, I mean that's what yeah, I think. My yeah. my wife and I landed on was the if and we went when I went on this ship. We both said. If this happens, you st and I was like, I'll stay if this happens. And like before I left, like both of us were, I was like, just in case, 
maybe every time you go to the store, grab an extra can of beans and toilet paper. I don't know what, you know, just in like both of us had this like, okay, okay, just in case. We're being crazy. We're being right. crazy. You weren't being a dick, though. You weren't sort of buying No, we're a, little a by little. Worth of, like a high school's worth of right. paper. And... <laughs> we're building a fort. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> we did it like like a squirrel with nuts, just a little at a time, building up a little, a little stockpile but little a little one you know just like a month's worth just in case and she would get every time she'd go just like the weekly route she'd be like oh just an extra couple things of this up you know things of that and then when i got stuck she was like she was thinking i was gonna get to come home but i would have to be alone in the house um we didn't know i was gonna have to quarantine on the military base um anyway that's... So were they taking like every day? Were they taking your temperature and doing tests and things, or were they? Even, did they have tests to give you, or were they just sort of monitoring? <laughs> I mean, it's like you know when you were a kid and you played doctor, <laughs> you <know? laughs> and you just kind of like check people's things. Like now I'm gonna listen to your heart. Now I'm gonna listen to your ears. Like that's <laughs> they would come by twice a day and they would take my temperature and I'd be like, hey, what about one of those coronavirus tests? They'd be like. Oh, I don't have one of those. And like the next day, I'd be like, "Hey, can I get one of those tests?" I'd be like, "Oh, no one tested us on those yet." I'm like, so seven days in, I was like, "Can I get one of those tests?" They're like, mm, "Are you sure you want one?" I was like, "Yes, yeah, I do." And then they made us fill out these papers saying like, "If you choose to get one, you can choose to get one, but you may have to stay here longer." And like, like if it's positive, wait. it's basically saying like you don't. If we don't, we if we if we don't or if see the it, results don't happening. come back, they were they were threatening us with if the results don't come back or if it's positive, and like like I I walked the yard <laughs> every day, <laughs> and I would listen to podcasts. There's a really good one called My Dad Wrote a Porno, and I, I've discovered that one on my walks, and so but I would kind of listen to the the scuttlebutt in the yard, and some of the the passengers were like, I'm not taking the test because I don't want to stay here longer. And I'm, and I didn't say anything, but I'm like, that's not, anyway, I took the test. I never, to this day, never got my test results back. Oh my God. This has been a clusterfuck from the jump. Yeah. I believe that. That's. Yeah. Wow. Um, so aside from being a specimen in the world's largest floating lab for a brief period of time. <laughs> We like to. What, what if anything is your background in science? We like to ask our guests this before we get into the stories from the week's news. Oh my god! Okay, and- so I I took science. My last science class was in my combined sophomore junior year of high school. I was graduating early from high school, and then I no, that's not true. I was going to say then I dropped out, which I did, but I did go to college and I majored in a. I was a science major. I was a okay. uh, par- paramedicine technology, so I was going to be a paramedic. So I've taken some anatomy, physiology. I was completely skipping over that part of my life. I was like, no, I'm a high school dropout. What? What? I was like, <laughs> oh yeah, I went to college to be a paramedic, um, but I'm I, I'm forgetful. Um, Anyway, so that's that's about my science level knowledge. Is I uh, got a little a little first responder EMT. Never did very well in uh, in um, I don't know what else is sciency. I mean that that in itself is. So did you work as a paramedic for a while? I did my intermediate training, uh, my basic and intermediate paramedic training. 
Um, and then during my intermediate training in hospitals and um, uh, in the paramedic, uh, like the EMT station, I watched a few people die and uh, I dropped out of college to be a stand-up comedian. So that was right, right at that time of my life. I can see that as being a preferable path. Yeah, me too. Well, I mean, it was really like right in my face, like this or that, you know, like all these audiences of live people, (laughs) you know, an emergency room with a dead person. And I was like, applauded on a daily basis of being being greeted by weeping relatives. Right, right, right. Well, and like first responders, it is like, it's a very dark, there's like a, there's like a, it's really exciting and, to, and except for boring. It's boring all the time until it's super exciting. And so there's like a kind of a dark sense of humor to it because people really look forward to like a gunshot wound or super bloody, like because the rest of it is so boring. There's a lot of paperwork. There's a lot of sitting and there's a lot of waiting for, you know, <laughs> some mass bones sticking out and so it's like or i could just go you know tell an off-color joke you know <laughs> so, I mean, that job comes with its own highs and lows but they're a little more predictable right 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 yeah. right and it, you know in our job if someone's dying then it's just a cause for everyone to come out and look at it like everyone get out of the green room now <laughs> he's right he's <laughs> horribly bombing we want to watch this yeah you want to see this <laughs> yeah. i mean like i mean it's bad Oh, and it's one of my favorite things. Like watching I, someone else bomb. Yeah, it, I mean, I don't know why. Like, like there's a few clubs throughout the country that they still have the you know like Wednesday open mic where the headliner does like 20 minutes at the end, and so you have to come in a day early and go and watch watch the whole thing. Oh yeah, and yeah, and it's like there's a couple diamonds in the rough and you're like oh good for you you crafted some jokes you know that's good and then there's a lot of just like i think i'm funny my friends told me i'm funny i'm just gonna have like six shots of fireball and get up there and wing it those are my favorite (laughs) (laughs) they didn't write a set they get up there and realize oh man this fireball doesn't have an act (laughs) like (laughs) yeah I kind of love when someone comes in really hot out of the gate with, like, they've studied all of the physicalities of some other comic that's very obvious. I saw this guy who was, like, his first time up, and he'd just been watching a ton of George Carlin, and he was just, like, stalking the stage with such confidence, <laughs> and with Carlin's cadence, but with nothing to say, and it just fell so flat. And it was even weird. It would have been so much more likable if he had been just sort of, like, himself and not super confident in his awfulness. Right. Right. Yeah. Which is, I mean... I mean, I, I think the, the, the trick to stand-up is just kind of learning how to mimic being the most genuine version of yourself you can put together yeah. on stage. But that, I mean, how long does that take? It's a lot easier just to go up there and pretend to be somebody else, I suppose, um, yeah. with, with like eight shots of fireball. Sure. It, it's always fun to <laughs> see. Gotta want some fireball, though. Yeah. <laughs> it's I quit fun. drinking three years ago, and so it's the only thing that oh, pops okay. into my head. I'm like, yeah. Eight shots of fireball. Go see what you can do. Kick-cow! That's what people drink. Uh, <laughs> right? Is that a thing? Do people still drink that? It's always fun to see at, think... a, at any given time, like, which... You always get a sense of who the most influential comic of the moment is just by watching an open mic and just going like, oh, okay. There's okay, a lot yeah. of John Mulaney's right now. Right, or right. There's, there's a lot of Bill Burr's. Or in Britain, there was a big, like... When I started, it was like 50-50... Uh, 
Bill Hicks and Izzard. Okay, okay. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah I think you had to decide at the beginning which way you were going to go. Like, Has anybody actually tried to do Mulaney, though? Because that would be so... It's already strange if Mulaney does Mulaney. It'd be so I know. I'd love to watch somebody try. <laughs> Who else is going to talk like they're a 1940s uh, huckster? <laughs> that was a good job. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, I lo- he's like my favorite comic. I'm just saying, like, it's a very distinctive, uh, <laughs> unnatural cadence. I forget how much I like him, but I, I end up like telling not telling his bits but telling of his bits i think that's how funny he is because i've told my dad i'm like oh there's this john mulaney bit and it's about this and just me telling him about it makes my dad laugh and then i'll go and look it up and it's like He's showing so... it to him on youtube is just like it's not as funny as me trying to explain it. it's a bit you know it's about law and order svu and in the bit he does this and my dad will just laugh and laugh and laugh but last time i was home i uh i was trying to explain to them why this bit about him walking into the restaurant with his friend and putting seven dollars in the jukebox and just playing what's new pussycat over and over and over again and uh have you ever heard that bit oh yeah that's oh that's my god so anyway i was we i was talking my my brother he showed up at the, at the house and he goes i just heard that in the car on the way here and so then we had to youtube and watch it as a family <laughs> yeah his uh, his trump analysis was perfect i think it predated the trump presidency didn't it just that Trump is like what every hobo dreams a rich person is. <laughs> oh, that yes, that yeah, that predates it by quite a while. So it. he's a prophet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, prophet Mulaney. Should we uh, should we jump into some stories? Sure. You I've know, I a, did. What, Sorry, what, what are you going to say? Have you got one loaded up? Because I've I've got one loaded up as well. Do I need to put my science hat on or anything? Oh yeah, you should have got that in the post. Did it get? Did it arrive at yours yet? <laughs> All right. Okay. Science hat on. Hat. We sent it to you so you could leave it in quarantine for four days. Got it. That's how long apparently the virus can live on a hat. <laughs> on a hat. <laughs> Depending on the hat's material. If it's the a virus likes hat, hats. Twenty-four hours. You only need to leave a cardboard hat for a day, and it's fine. <laughs> but a plastic hat could be four or five days. So this like, one's good. It's a it's a it's a big big felt cowboy hat. <laughs> It's a science on it. That's the word science tucked in the side like the word press. Yeah, that's right. Well, it's my science hat. Scientist. <laughs> that's what people have been calling me all day. I wondered why. I was like, ah, yeah. oh, it's because I've been wearing this hat. Science lady coming through. <laughs> There's a science emergency. Out of my way. <laughs> Just the police line automatically parts for you. <laughs> <laughs> I can get anywhere in this hat. Yeah. Say, what's the latest science? <laughs> Let me check my periodic table. Okay, what do you got? What's the scoop? What's the scoop, guys? What's the scoop, fellas? Uh, Today's like scoop is mercury. <laughs> I've heard of it. <laughs> Sorry, Matt, you were breaking up for me for a second there. Had you already gone to a story? <laughs> <laughs> um, I hadn't already gone to a story. Okay. I have... Uh, I, I have... I, I have one loaded, but then we got distracted by talk of funny hats. Okay. A science hat. What's nice is that our listenership does contain some real scientists, so Uh-oh. it's That's nice to true. think that they, there are people the currently hats. wearing their science hats. With, oh, good. <laughs> presume, so they're not put off by my hat. Yeah, I presume earbuds, because you can't fit a headphone over such a wide brim. You don't know how I wear my hat. <laughs> <laughs> I prefer this time of year to wear my pseudoscience hat, which is tinfoil. 
Well, now that's just clever. Who's being clever now? <laughs> you don't need to be clever when you've got your science hat on. Got a yes. science hat on. Does all the work. Keeps all the good ideas in and blocks the bad ones. That's right. So, um, I'm, I'm going to put back. this in the chat. Unless you, unless you have what a story you'd rather do as an opening story. Well, I was going to, at some point, I think we should talk about an experience that both Kristen and I had that has a sciencey element to it, also has a sort of a um, break in the law element to it. Um, but maybe that's a tease. Let's do that after yours. No, I think, I think it's nice. I think it's a nice, a nice story because it involves glow in the darky things. Okay, I will put a link. I, will put I a just link clicked on a link. I just found out how to do that, you guys. This is great. Are you guys just. Right. God, you could put anything in there and I'd click on it. Oh, don't put. Is porn science? Because I'd click on it. <laughs> uh, this is kind of um, porny in the sense that um, I'm guessing it has to do with algae reproducing. I'm not <gasps> sure. <laughs> okay, okay. So oh. people who aren't living in Southern California might not have heard about this incredible red tide. Red tide. Befell us for the last month or so. Um, and I have, as the listeners know, I've been out in the desert for uh, nigh on, what, two months now or more? Nigh on. Um, I have. Yeah. Sure. Uh, yeah. To fill you in, Kristen, Andy's becoming a desert person. Oh, God. Okay. Okay. Got the, got the golf clubs. What happened? Yeah. Uh, have you tried, have that's it, like the rich desert person. That's over the hill down in Palm Springs. I, I only know old desert people. Like, have you tried a prime rib dinner? Yeah? Okay. No, 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 no. We're talking, if you go up and over the, whatever the ridge where the Joshua Tree National Park is, you get into like tweaker, hippie slash tweaker slash. Like Coachella um, people? No, no, no. North, north. Up into like Joshua Tree, Yucca Valley area. Where like I guess the birthplace of desert rock, like your Caius and Queens of the Stone Age. Oh, also okay, okay. Place where like boho girls not going to Coachella come to Airbnb a place and take their Instagram selfies in their floppy hats, but also okay. meth and also you know rock music and uh, stay off my land types with Trump flags, all that kind of stuff. Well, how is the yeah, meth? Like the rest of the year is yeah. Like, I make art out of missile shells. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> so is the meth good? Or are you are you mething it up? It's, it's pretty good up here. It's pretty good. It's bright you mean very blue, productive. just like the waves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's science. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think- took a break from all that because my friends who surf and are into slightly breaking rules have been like texting and saying, oh my God, this is a life changing thing. You have to come out and surf in the bioluminescence, which is what happens at night with this red tide. You kind of have and to. And surf in the bioluminescence is a code for Rob Banks while wearing masks of presidents. Exactly. Ooh. Yeah. We so, went. Kristen, you said so, you saw it also, right? I did. I did. I didn't surf in it, which I've been told is super bad for you. Um, <laughs> like I used Maybe to surf. So. I surfed for years in Long Beach, and a neighbor of mine always said, "When there's red tide, like a not so like this is an intense red tide where you get the the glowing water." But when we'd have any red tides, she would always say, "Stay out of the water for a few days because it's just um, there's bacteria." And um, you get ear infections and other infections. Um, so stay out of the out of the water. So it's, I mean, it's beautiful, super fun, and I, I bet it would be incredible because I've seen. I, so my wife and I went down there. Um, we are we are not really leaving the house. We go to the grocery store once every three weeks to get groceries, and that's it. Um, she has asthma. Like we don't want to spread. We don't want to catch. We're just trying to you know try to do our part or whatnot. But 
one night at like 11 p.m. She was like, do you want to go, go see the glowing water? And I was like, yep, get in the car. Let's go. <laughs> so we wore all black because <laughs> we treated like it. Burglars. Yeah, we were like, we, we literally, I was like, I feel like I'm sneaking out of my parents' house. And she was like, oh my. And I go, did you sneak out of your parents' house? She's like, of course I did. I was like, oh, I ran away from home. Anyway, that was a different story. But anyway, we left. <laughs> <laughs> we, we lived different lives we left we were all black and then we like we ran down the beach and we saw it and then we saw like other people that were just like down there in regular clothes you know, like on dates and we were like okay right. we, we didn't need to wear all black and black face well, you're masks. waiting for them to look one way and then like kind of sneak across the road <laughs> that's actually what we did with too. your arms in front of you yeah. slightly yeah. <laughs> holding your hands just in front of your body and then sneaking <laughs> sideways across the because I was like <laughs> there was a street light over the strand and I was and 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 we, we, a friend of ours met us down there and he was like about to walk under the light. I was like, don't walk in the light, shimmy across the wall until you get to the dark and then run out the dark. Like as if anyone gave a shit, no one cared. And we went down. It was beautiful. It was totally worth it. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. There weren't any cops trying to get people off, off the beach? No, not, not, well, cause we didn't like, um, there were literally three of us. We were standing about 10 feet apart and we just went down there to kind of sit in the sand and watch it. Um, and so it wasn't anything to like write home about. Um, but I heard you're, you had a different experience with it. You didn't it. even see the blue, or you just thought it wasn't that impressive? No, we, we did see the blue. We just didn't, we didn't, um, we didn't get in the water. Even and, from the beach, I, was, I, I couldn't believe it. I just thought it was amazing. It didn't yeah. blow you away, huh? No, it did blow me. Like, we stayed for like 45 minutes. I'm just saying the police didn't come because we weren't doing anything to right, like. Yeah. The, the not anything to write home about was more the the security situation. Oh, yeah, okay. we weren't really. Yeah, sure, and sure, sure. maybe I would say it's because we shimmied across the wall and we're wearing all black. I don't think the police could see us. Of course, <laughs> yeah, we were totally hidden. You were slightly crouching by as darkness. Well, I was. Invisible. I wasn't wearing my science hat that night. <laughs> right, <laughs> I was not that visible. <laughs> you were wearing your spy trousers. I, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I was cloaked in darkness. Which are huge white bring trousers that have the words spy written on the side. <laughs> Sneaky, right on the ass. So you surfed in it. How? What was it? Because we went home and YouTubed every video we could YouTube of people being in it, watching dolphins play in it. And literally, if you if the water is disturbed at all, it just glows bright blue. So what was yeah. it like to surf in it? I will tell you that after I tell you the science of it. Or should I do the opposite? I don't I know. Think we Which way? Learn the science. It's not like this is sure. a science podcast or anything. Right. Oh, right. Go ahead. <laughs> so, yes. Uh, I, there's a link to an article about this um, on UCSD's site. So, bioluminescence expert Michael Latz, a scientist at Scripps Institutions of Oceanography at UC San Diego, said the red tide is due to aggregations of the dinoflagellate. Lingulodinum. Lingulodinium. Lingulodinium. Polyedra, a species well known for its bioluminescent displays. Each microscopic cell contains some, quote, sunscreen, giving it a reddish brown color. On sunny days, the organisms swim toward the surface where they concentrate, resulting in the intensified coloration of the water and the reason for the term red tide. At night, when the phytoplankton are agitated by waves or other movement in the water, they emit a dazzling neon blue glow. Um, these red tides are unpredictable, and not all of them produce bioluminescence. Like I've I've been surfing twenty years, I don't remember being in, a, in an area where someone was like, "Hey, you got to go out tonight. This is happening." So, 
Um, that's, that's not in the article. That's me talking. Um, there's no red tide monitoring program, but the Southern California Coastal Ocean Observing System at Scripps Oceanography performs weekly sampling for potential harmful algal toxins or algal toxins. Um, Latz said that local red tides of El Palledra have been known since the early 1900s due to observations by Scripps scientists. Um, there are several script scientists sampling the current red tide to learn more about the genetic and metabolic characteristics of the organisms. Um, I want to f- learn more about why they glow blue when they're agitated, but this article doesn't talk about that. Well, when um, you said it was the, uh, what did you say at the beginning? The dinoflagellite. I just assume that means it's farting fish. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> or start farting dinosaurs. Fight, farting dinosaurs. Yeah. yeah. So this is a, a prehistoric um, flagellation bubbles, which <laughs> glow say, bright blue the scientific when reason. they reach like the surface. That. Yep. I like that as that's the reason. why you booked me on the science podcast. <laughs> but I will tell you what it's like to be in it. Oh, and I'll, I'll, actually, before I get to that, you were saying it's bad. It's it's bad for us. I know it's bad for a fish. It's definitely killed a lot of well, fish. Well, it stinks but... like dino farts. I'll tell you that. Did you smell something different down there? Um, it's smell. I live near the beach, and it it smells. It just stinks. Interesting. I Red tide smells. Okay. Um, so this same article has a little Q and A, and it says, "Is the water safe for surfing or swimming?" Um, it says in some areas, such as the Mediterranean, this uh, organism produces yesotoxin, a compound that acts as a neurotoxin. Um, but local populations do not produce yesotoxin. However, some people are sensitive to inhaling air associated with the red tides, so the organisms must be producing other compounds that can affect human health. In general, during a red tide, there's lots of dissolved and particulate matter in the water with associated enhanced microbial activity. It is personal choice whether to go in the water, but there is no public health warning associated huh. with the red tide. Do this you? article was, okay. did not come out during... This didn't come out during... Uh, or this wasn't related to COVID. But So, yeah, at the time, I went on Sunday night, and that was still... I guess today they officially opened the beaches again, so the beaches weren't open, but like I wasn't near anybody. In fact, I was the only person who got in the water. I won't say which area I was in, but there were probably 50 people. It's like midnight. 50 people on the beach watching it, and uh, I met up with a surfing friend who didn't have a board, so actually he got in and swam for a minute. But yeah, I paddled out, and close to the beach, it wasn't glowing, but like 50 to 100 feet out, as you're paddling, the water suddenly turns from turns from cold and sort of mixed colors to at, at night to just completely dark and warmer. And then as soon as you get in that, you dip a hand in, and it's like a scene from Fantasia. You just can't believe wow. like trails behind your hands and feet whenever they move of bright neon blue. The the board, the water on the board is blue. When you catch a wave, like the trail behind you, your board is bright blue. And the craziest thing is, as I'm paddling and just like giggling, it's just like insane you're so bright that it scares fish so eventually I paddled into a school of fish and my brightness scared them suddenly they all scatter and I see like a hundred curvy blue lightning bolts through the water as the fish dart away from me it was like that's so awesome so crazy yeah um and so far, the only problem I had was I still have some sand in my ear. I don't think that's algae related, but uh, no, it was totally worth it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean if you, oh, lose an I also had you to, still had an experience, right? Exactly. Um, and it, I don't condone whatever. I've been good for two months, and I wasn't near anybody. And this is like a once in a. This isn't one know. of those nursing beaches where there's just a lot of old people living. <laughs> yeah, the nursing the beaches. <laughs> Uh, but I, I did get chased by the cops, though, because my friend said, this one area you can go, because this one cop never comes south of this one pier, the one to the south never comes north of another pier. But finally, as I was in the water, 
and there's no one else around, I suddenly can tell like his bright headlights like half a mile away are on me. I can see my own shadow on the water next to me. So I just start paddling for the shore and then he's driving towards me. Like he's he's only driving at me and then I just hit the beach and ran. And I didn't look at his I thought if I looked over at the car that's what I would be officially like evading the police. But then I realized like he could have driven faster and easily gotten me or just turned on his actual blue lights and I would have to stop. So I think they were just trying to scare everyone off and not ticket people yeah so i I'm, i don't condone breaking quarantine but i was well, a once I, in a lifetime i experience. drove three hours yeah. for it yeah i mean it, it was uh yeah it was pretty insane like i still can't believe but no, and you can just, just standing Google, and you know, watching it, it we, yeah we talked about it we were we we, we went home and and um uh, it's it is something I will, i'll remember it for the rest of my life like like uh just looking at it yeah, it's pretty videos pretty magical yeah. yeah, we should link to the videos the guy's got of dolphins swimming in it, because that looks like a special yeah. effect. But just watching the waves break, though, was... Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, it would be pretty magical to be in the water. That's... that's. I'm glad you went. I'm glad well, you broke quarantine you. and went. Yeah. As I, and as I was paddling in, I was like... Because I'd heard about the surfers who broke quarantine to surf early on in the quarantine... And they got thousand dollar tickets, and the cops lights on me, and I'm like, you know what? I think I could kind of justify a thousand dollar ticket because I've never seen this in my life, and now I have. And how so, often does it happen? I have some surfer friends who said they haven't seen one like this since like '95. Um, oh wow! And my neighbor said she, there was one in 2002. She remembers, but I just I've never I, maybe I've just never lived in a place where it's happened yet. So uh, I'm glad that I at least. Yeah, I think it was worth doing. I, I mean, I also, uh, I didn't actually read up on the health stuff, and I was so fascinated by the look of it that I also went underwater and opened my eyes and waved my hands in front of him to see that. <laughs> I wish I'd brought goggles I could really see, but, and my eyes are fine, so I guess it's... Uh, I think you're okay. Yeah, I sure. think you're okay. Yeah. But yeah, the guy who caught the dolphin swimming is, is just surreal, and I posted... Uh, we have a link to that in the show notes, or we will by the time this comes out. Um, so yeah, stay inside. Also, I think it's over now, so it's not like I'm going to encourage listeners to go do it, because I'm pretty sure it's it's gotten colder, and I think it's the red tide is over. But it was around for like a month in San Diego and L.A. Um, so, do you want to hear a cool story about moths? Do I? Yes. Because we, we have a moth problem in our apartment. Moths are dicks. They seem to serve <laughs> no purpose, as far as I can tell, uh, apart from ruining a couple of sweaters that I really liked. Mm. Uh, and eating through an entire rug but um an entire rug yeah we had there was there was an ottoman on top of a rug and we were and also we were like where are these moths coming from this was a few summers ago we're like where where are all these moths coming from and then we moved this ottoman and there was just like a bare patch in the middle of it, it oh just, god they got through realized like oh this has just been nurturing this has been nurturing the moths that have then been ruining the rest of our clothes Ugh. um so, but they do apparently have a secret role as pollinators, as mm. crucial pollinators. New research suggests they play a vital role as overnight pollinators of a wide range of flowers and plants. So bees doing the daytime shift and then moths don their spy pants. Of the third shift, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they, um, according to the study, the moth's transport networks are thought to be larger and more complex than those of daytime pollinators like bees. The authors believe there is an urgent need to stem declines in moth numbers. Over the past decade, public anxiety about the role our pollinators have focused square... 
uh, role of our pollinators to focus squarely on bees, according to this BBC article. The fall off in the numbers linked to changes in land and widespread use of pesticides has helped raise environmental awareness of the critical roles these creatures play in the food chain. Moths, though, have not evoked similar sympathies because they are dicks. (laughs) (laughs) I'm editorializing a bit as we go along, but it's this is I'm reading between the lines. Uh, Richard Walton, Dr. Richard Walton from University College London, who's the lead author, said there's this big misconception that all moths come and eat my clothes. That's not what happens at all. Well, he hasn't seen my clothes. Uh, (laughs) Some of them happen to be visiting flowers and can be an important part of the pollination process. To find out how vital a part the moths play, Dr. Walton and colleagues monitored moth activity around ponds in agricultural areas of Norfolk. They found that 45% of the moths they tested were transporting pollen, which originated from 47 different plant species, including several that were rarely rarely visited by bees, hoverflies, or butterflies. The scientists found that while bumblebees and honeybees are critically important, they tended to target the most prolific nectar and pollen sources. Not so with moths. Um, so they're, not, they're not glory chasers, the moths. Yeah. They'll pollinate anyone. <laughs> they'll, they'll pollinate any old, any old flower. They'll they'll drop in on um dr walton said from what we see from our work moths tend to be generalists meaning they're not specifically visiting a narrow group of flowers they're visiting any type of flower they can access god any holes a goal for a moth right wow (laughs) and these tend to be the open cup shaped flowers like bramble they can access things from the legume family the clover family was also very important uh, previous studies on moths have tended to focus on their ability to transport pollen via their proboscis or nose. This new work looked at the pollen collected on the moth's distinctly hairy bodies when they sit on flowers while feeding. The researchers believe their study shows that moths complement the work of daytime pollinators and keep help keep plant populations diverse and abundant. They serve as a form of backup for biodiversity, which in turn supports crop yields. The vital role played by the moths has come under increasing threat as they have suffered deep declines in numbers since the 1970s. This is largely due to changes in land use and increasing use of pesticides. I think it's also maybe because people are wearing fewer knitted, heavy knitted sweaters. Yeah, right? No one likes wool that much anymore. <laughs> yeah, like I think the 70s was really the heyday for big woolen sweaters. And... Like, if there was like a know, Gore-Tex if, moth, that might be... Um... Yeah, you don't have that as much. I think <laughs> the 80s, once the shell suit came in, that was it for the moths. Mm-hmm. That's really affecting their environment. Uh, Dr. Walton says, This has a knock-on effect for birds that feed on moths, such as the cuckoo. Its decline is kind of tied to moth declines. I oh, no. It's the first time hearing about a cuckoo decline. Yeah, I didn't know cuckoos were declining. I also didn't know that if maybe we had a pet cuckoo... I could have had my favorite sweater not have a hole in it. You'd have different problems if you had a pet bird. That's true. I did live with a pet parrot for a while. Okay. Friend How'd that the, go? I fucking hate it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> friend, yeah, friend birds are no friend good. Yeah, birds are... Yeah, I had a... I had a the show, rather. I had a roommate once... And by roommate, I mean, I, I kind of lived with a hoarder rent-free for a minute. I had a weird life. Anyway, she had a bird in one of her rooms that she hadn't cleaned out. And it's living with a bird is just, it's unnatural. It's not... Oh, it's the worst. Yeah. You never, the house never feels really clean because you're like, a bird got in, you know, but it's like, oh, it lives here. But yeah, 
it, it's it's it is the world. You, you're taking away everything that's good about a bird, just shoving it in a cage. It's yep. They're just it's just this angry squawking shitting thing. But not you. You'd be like, no, my bird's out to eat the moths. Yeah. <laughs> like, this cuckoo. Yeah. So we're supposed to save the moths now. Is that is that what we're supposed to do? Um. Yeah. Apparently we are. Uh, so bats, okay. also bats will feed on moths so there's ties to other creatures having declines in their own population well bats are not the most popular creature right now either so maybe I'm not a fan but maybe China had too many moths and that's the issue oh uh, yeah but bats bats are getting a bad rap right now they really are yeah but because of their food supply the moths are going down as well you can see this linkage play out helping the moths will require the use of less pesticides and encouraging a wider diversity of plants in the landscape but perhaps more importantly, the public perception of moths needs to change. Something that's out of sight is often out of mind, says Dr. Walton. We just we only see bees in the daytime and we see them visiting the flower, so they've got the better shift when it comes to work in terms of being visible. But moths are by no means less important. I think it's vital to raise the profile of moths to help the public at large see the important part they play in our ecology. Maybe some rebranding, too, because, like, a bee. Like, everybody wants to, like, like, bees have a cool name, but a moth. Nobody nobody supports the moths. Yeah. You I'm know? Sure, I'm sure Mothra didn't help the PR either. There's no B-Ra that's making us scared a giant bee is going to take over <laughs> Japanese city. No, there's, there's Beyonce. That's it, really. Right. right. That's the loved, beloved Beyonce. <laughs> Which is the, the bee equivalent of Mothra. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking as a person whose house is currently littered with moths, I am I am very on board with their demise. Um, and they are on board with their demise. These things don't last. Like, they'll get in one night and then have a party around my light. And then the next day, they are um, sleeping on my walls. I'll see, like, four of them around the room. And then by that night, those four have dropped dead and fallen to the floor. And then I have to sweep them up. So I don't know if that's a usual life cycle, like one day of partying by a light. Or if something's deadly in my house here, but... These guys are not resilient creatures. I wonder if they think it's worth it. Right, it's like, like they, swimming in the bioluminescence. Yeah, they're just like, you know what? If I get a $1,000 fine or just die on a wall. This is a it sounds, a sounds like desert partiers. Yeah, just partying by a light all night and then dead in the morning by a wall. I saw one fall off the wall to his death. I saw the moment he died enough to fall. And I'm like, how does, that, how, how does death come on that quickly for these things? Hmm. I don't know. If I'm a sure. rescuer, but that's just because anything in the house that like I want to smack with a shoe and then take out, I'm I've been trying to do the cup and the put a cup over it and then slide a paper under it and let it free. Oh. I started that with spiders a couple of years ago, and so I've done it with a few moths, and mainly because also if you, if you smack a moth, you have a bigger moth carcass. Somehow they they explode. They like, turn to dust. They turn to dust. Yeah. It's it's gets gross. So it's almost better to save them just for the mess. Yeah. And now it'll save my my like the plant the earth. I'm going to save the earth if I let a moth go. And apparently I need to make t-shirts yeah, that I say like moths good. Uh anyway, this has been moth I need to like light a match and throw it out my front door. Yeah. <laughs> I do like Jurassic moth Park cast. decoy with a light. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. There might be if if someone's listening right now and they they want to start their own mothcast. We do need a mothcast. How, how's this for a link? Yeah. Hey, we have a sponsor who could maybe help you out with that. That, <laughs> that is that true. Is a if, you've been, 
if you are a moth a mothologist and you want to get your message out to the world, there's no better way than to check out Startapod. So the best of my knowledge, there is yet no moth, entirely moth-based podcast. You might have a gap in the market. You might have a hole in the sweater. Yes. Of the <laughs> podcasting world. <laughs> that you could See, our fill. friends over at Startapod. Sorry, go ahead. No, 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 please, please, please go into the actual <laughs> correct information rather than just I mean, let me natter on about moths for another five minutes. There's no reason you can't have a mothcast, definitely. Or a, a, a podcast about the movie The Mothman Chronicles. Is that a movie or a book? What is that? I don't, I don't know. watch every Andy. episode and then analyze it. If only it. there were some podcast okay. that could fill us in on that. <laughs> so our friends at Startupod have created an... <laughs> Yeah, they've created a platform. They've created a, a comprehensive series of courses that take you through every aspect, both technical and artistic and financial, in terms of how to start a podcast. Yeah, they simplify the process with tools like in-depth video courses, discounted hosting, easy-to-purchase gear, and an exclusive pathway with access to potential ad revenue. So it, it's a really I, simple... I wish there was some kind of sorry, deal, though, that we could offer our, our listeners <laughs> that would in some way give them a discount that could they could use to take advantage of this platform this site well i've got an enticement for our listeners that they will head to like moths to a flame if you will which is a 50 (laughs) percent i'm so sorry 50 percent discount on the first year of a monthly or annual subscription if you go to startupod.com slash probably Give it a shot. If you've been curious about starting a podcast yourself, there, I think this is the first time that there is one place to get all the info. As we've, t- as we've talked about when we started. Um, There's a lot of scrambling around for info. Yeah, these Googling people. a bunch of different things that were not necessarily agreeing with each other. And um, just, and just, just to be clear, force. and I think this is something you will discover if you do take uh, up the offer and sign up and go through the courses, but there, it doesn't have to be moth-based. Oh, after all this, I feel like it's simply Moth B. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> okay. Uh. <laughs> I'm leaving it in. I'm leaving yeah. it in. I was, I was debating editing this entire thing. At, no. <laughs> nope. It's in there. It's in there. It's, it's happened now. Uh, and it could happen for you as well. That, once again, that URL <laughs> is startupod.com slash probably. That's startupod.com slash probably. Probably. Check it out. <laughs> I've learned more about moths than I ever wanted to know. So have I, and I, I'm not sad about that. No, actually, I'm going to save more now, and I'm going to I'm going to share that with uh, with my wife. She's a gardener, and we are uh, we're really big fans of um, keeping pollination going, and uh, we're a big fan of the hummingbirds and keeping the bees going. But I did not realize the important role that moths played. Moths. Yeah. And uh, the moths and the cuckoos. Like, what? you guys picked the weirdest story today. <laughs> I feel like I need to write a song about it. <laughs> I've got another story that's uh, weird, but in a very cute way, about uh, animals down under. Do you want to do that, Matt? Yeah, let's do it. Does it involve like, licking? Is it like it crabs? Involve, it does involve licking, yeah. This is from uh, loyal listener Baz. Uh, is his last name Lovenberg? It's not on I the, believe so. Yeah. I apologize um, if we're mispronouncing your name there, Baz. So a bit of non-COVID-related science news that might excite our Australian listeners. Thirsty koalas have been caught on camera licking wet trees. <laughs> oh, and I should send this link to you, Kristen, so you can see. Oh, I was going to say, yeah, I didn't, I didn't see that yet. I was, I was, there it is. Okay. 
Um, so unprecedented footage shows koalas slurping water from wet tree trunks both during and after rainstorms. Is the discovery in the Tinder sense? Right, but it's both. The discovery solves a long-standing mystery about these adorable marsupials and how they're able to stay hydrated. A typical koala will eat about 150 grams or 5.3 ounces of eucalyptus leaves every day, providing them with an abundant but not completely sufficient source of water. As new evidence published in Ethology shows, koalas can access an alternative source of water without having to leave the cozy confines of their arboreal environment. They're able to drink by lapping rainwater from wet tree trunks and branches. This significantly alters our understanding of how koalas gain water in the wild, said Valentina Mella, the lead author of the study and a researcher from the University of Sydney, who said in a press release, it is very exciting. Uh, a video of a koala drinking from a tree trunk is below, and then the article's words, trust me, it's worth viewing with sound on. I haven't actually turned the sound on. Oh, look at that guy go. It's <laughs> pretty cute. So how these marsupials get their water, aside from eucalyptus leaves, has been somewhat of a mystery. <laughs> Oh, I'm watching him do it now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's just looking away. Look at him. Wait, yeah. is is it intuitive or are they just lazy? I, I mean... Sorry, I, I was we, yelling because the sound was on. We're Wait, is, this, we're, is this where we get the expression he can lick a koala's worth of water off a wet tree? <laughs> <laughs> now that I think about it, it might be. Oh, my God. The, <laughs> the also popular the expression? <laughs> yeah. I never understood it until now, but I guess it's just... If I had a nickel for every time I said that. (laughs) So I guess, yeah, they've been seen drinking from water holes when the weather gets really hot, but such accounts are strictly anecdotal. In rare situations like after wildfires, desperate koalas will wander into urban settings, slurping water from bottles, gardens, and swimming pools. Um, Interestingly, captive koalas will drink water when it's offered to them but that's typically only when they're sick or heat stressed huh so they prefer it from wet trees is that is that what you're saying is that what you're is that what you're indicating (laughs) i'm saying the new paper documents 46 examples of wild koalas licking rainfall from wet trees um pointing to an alternative regular source of hydration for these animals so i'm not sure what they're saying the main i guess they're still saying that 75% 75% of the total water intake comes from just eucalyptus leaves. Huh. So, pretty damn cute. Uh, Matt and I got to get really close to a couple of koalas last year in Australia, but because we were in the wrong uh, in the wrong area, we couldn't legally hold one. We would have had to have gone to, was it Queensland, where you can touch them? Yeah, but I New, think South Wales, you, you, can't... Can, you can get all up in a koala, but in New Aww. South Wales. Well, after Tiger King, I have a whole different perspective on whether or not we should hold animals. Yeah, yeah. It's probably not usually good. <laughs> I mean, dogs. I'm, st- I'm still pro-petting dogs. I don't think you should ignore your dog. I'll pet everybody's dog. Um, in fact, I get kind of, I get a little, like, snarky with people. Like, it's, Seattle's a big walking town. Every time I'm walking there, I'm like, oh, can I pet your dog? And people are like, no. I'm like, what a, what a dick. Aww. Let me, why not? And then I, I bet if it were my dog, I mean, I get it. Just, you don't want some crazy lady just, ah, pet your dog. <laughs> but I want to. Most of the ones I pet stop after a while. <laughs> I'm just going to take it on this bus with me. Um, I just love them so much. Um, Great. We we do have... um, Yeah, we we got a bit of a backstage tour thanks to Emma Malik, who is a Sydney-based comedian. Is she Sydney-based or Melbourne? She must be Sydney-based. She's a comedian and also animal trainer and zoologist. Oh, cool. 
yeah, so we got a bit of a, a, a backstage zoo tour, and then made and then made a web video with her for part of her comedian's petting animal. Oh, petting see, okay, series. I take back everything I said. If it's me. I want to pet all the animals. I want to yeah. hold them. I want to pet them. Like, to to yeah. be fair, the animal she put on us was the relatively uncuddly stick insect. Giant stick insects crawling all over our faces. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, Goliath. You can find, Goliath I think we posted it at the time, but you can. we should repost that. I'm trying to get more comfortable with uh, with animals that frighten me. Like, like uh, I'm trying real hard. I'm trying. Because I, I, like I, like I told you, I'm trying to go through this thing where I don't kill spiders or anything. And so, like, in order to, like... Like, get more comfortable with them. I'm rescuing. If I if I can get them outside, kind of talk to them a little bit, then I feel like it's helping me with like, oh, you know, I just, you know, it's all fear based, and let me, you know, maybe. If, so yeah, I'm trying. I'm working on it, but yeah, I still, you know, the the I think Australia has some of the scariest uh, insects I've ever seen in my life, and I don't know, like things that you oh, couldn't yeah. smack with a flip flop because it would take it from you and and hit you back. <laughs> that to teach that's you a lesson, yeah. yeah it's like ah, it's coming it's wearing it now and it yeah. looks better on, that's on not a flip <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it just pulls a larger one from its oh my god it's <laughs> it's wearing giant lesbian sandals and it looks fantastic um <laughs> that's what most australian tabloids have is like a who wore it better section of the show, <laughs> and then the, me or the giant stole. spider it's always the giant yeah. spider yeah. um i think the giant spider find- is threatening the magazine editors <laughs> just sitting on the desk glaring at them until they go all right the spider was wearing it better cross-legged yeah he's giving my children back <laughs> matt i didn't want to have to ask you this i thought i could google this myself but comedians petting animals didn't work so i remember it was a, it was a very australian word for petting that i'd never heard it was, was patting the word it was comedians patting this? animals but then i oh, think patting, i believe yeah. emma then changed the name of it to something like celebrities patting animals because she made it non-comedian specific she expanded okay. the world patting. to be beyond just comics and in the process upgraded us to celebrities oh that's nice yeah I'm, now i'm trying to see who who got to touch what after we had our um stick bugs do you know justin hamilton he got like a j- big lizard no i don't oh i think he's an australian comedian anyway uh, matt i saw you i saw that you had a story queued up didn't you well justin broad sent in are we talking about our australian friends sent in a story about pluto and the sophia probe that has discovered some clues about pluto's haze thank god hmm. yeah remember remember when you went out surfing in pluto's haze and you're like what's this made of <laughs> right right um but Sophia studied pluto just two weeks before new horizons flyby in 2015 july um the modified Boeing 747. So this is this is not a, a, a spacecraft. I hadn't realized this. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, it's a telos- It's a NASA's telescope. A nine-foot telescope. I don't want to jump ahead on the story, but I did. I read ahead just a little bit, just to the nine-foot mm-hmm. telescope part. That's a that's a yeah. freaking huge telescope. It is. It's sticking out of a mod- modified Boeing 747. And you're supposed to keep your hands arms and telescopes inside the plane at all times according yeah. to our announcements yeah this and sounds like a mad dog mike hughes project is this uh i heard this... that telescope went to the toilets and vaped <laughs> it's such a rebel <laughs> yeah even though they tell them they've got smoke detectors they can't detect the vape <laughs> it's um uh so yeah it 
it so it flew over the Pacific Ocean and pointed its nearly nine foot telescope at Pluto during an um, occultation which is an eclipse-like event in which Pluto cast a faint shadow on Earth's surface as it passed in front of a distant star. Uh, Sophia observed the middle layers of Pluto's atmosphere in the infrared and visible light wavelengths, and soon after, the New Horizons spacecraft probed its upper and lower layers using radio waves and ultraviolet light. These combined observations, taken so close in time, have provided the most complete picture yet of Pluto's atmosphere created a surface ice vaporizes under the distant light of the sun Pluto's atmosphere is predominantly nitrogen gas along with small amounts of methane and carbon monoxide haze particles from high up in the atmosphere more than 20 miles above the surface as methane and other gases um sorry haze gases haze particles form rather than from they form higher up in the atmosphere like 20 miles up as these methane and other gases react to sunlight before slowly raining down to the icy surface New Horizons found evidence of these particles when it sent back images showing a blue-tinted haze to Pluto's atmosphere. Now, Sophia's data fills in even more details by discovering that the particles are extremely small, just 0.06 to 0.1 microns thick, which is about a thousand times smaller than the width of a human hair. How do they detect that? I, as you've been reading this, I've also been Googling Sophia because I didn't know that we could ever, before a probe, with something that's vaguely that's close to Earth, get that kind of resolution on yeah. Pluto. But I guess even though I guess it, it it avoids a lot of the light pollution and atmospheric dispersion that being on Earth does. But even still, still just be, yeah. only being at the height that a seven forty seven can fly still doesn't seem like it, you bite that much. Well, it goes higher. It's the S. The S stands for stratospheric, so it um, gets up to. Well, actually, yeah, forty one thousand feet isn't that much higher than commercial planes. It's like a mile higher, maybe. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Wait, wait. 12 kilometers? Yeah. 35,000 is the usual flight, I think. 36,000, right? Somewhere around there. And then I sent, I sent you a link, Matt, if you want to see what this telescope looks like. It's just like a little hatch in the side of a plane that opens up and it can just point out. That's very cool. So, yeah. so they took advantage of this rare moment when Pluto passed in front of a distant star, which cast a f- faint shadow across the Earth's surface. So it's momentarily backlit by the star. So that's how they were able to a- analyze the atmosphere. Oh, okay. And it, Pluto's shadow was expected to appear... So the shadow travels at 53,000 miles per hour and it was expected to appear for a brief two minutes over the Pacific Ocean near New Zealand. Sophia charted its course to intercept, but two hours before the occultation, an updated prediction placed the shadow 200 miles to the north. How mm. how could they be wrong? Like, that's, that's also surprising. Like, I... Is it because it's so far away that just even the tiniest fraction of a degree difference causes 200 miles error? I mean, I don't, I don't even know if there's any way to really get a sense of the scale of these three bodies we're talking about. Earth's distance yeah. to Pluto would be nothing compared to Pluto's distance to the star. Right, so that would almost be a fixed point. Um, which, which would be? The star. The star would be almost like a fixed point in the... Because it's moving, it's so far away that its motion... Oh yeah, the motion of the star is irrelevant. Just think about our motion on Earth, both rotationally and orbiting the sun, and then Pluto's orbit. And I have no idea what that would mean for the shadow of Pluto from that star on us. Um, Wow, so it's a bit of a race against time. Yeah. It says, capturing the shadow required a bit of scramble. This is William Reach, who's the Sophia Associate Director for Science Operations. 
Sophia has the benefit of being mobile, but the revised flight plan had to be cleared by air traffic control. There are a few tense moments, but the team worked together and got clearance. We reached Pluto's shadow at exactly the right time and were very happy to have made it. Oh. It, that does feel like one of those oh they've jammed in some extra drama at the end of the movie just to kind of that's not how it really happened there's no way the guy was chasing down the runway in Argo as the plane is taking off <laughs> yeah. right. well you, you know the one that really and I, I like that the film but um uh what was was it First Man was that the name of it the, oh I didn't see that one the um Gosling the Neil Armstrong yeah made by oh I saw that one it was really loud it was really loud. <laughs> yeah, just and made by the guy who did Whiplash and La La Land. Yeah. Oh, um, I didn't know it was the same guy. Yeah, and I, I actually, I really liked it. I, I did genuinely, I, enjoy, I enjoyed the movie, and I enjoyed, I thought, for the f- first time it gave, it's the first film that I've seen where I, th- I thought it really gave a sense of the absurd scale of the Saturn V rockets and the, mm-hmm. and and just the, the sort of, daunting feeling of being sit, sat on top of one of these things waiting for it to take off like I, I really I really enjoyed that and and the sort of moon landing but then in the dramatization they had like of the actual landing the lunar landing they had like a sort of countdown of they're about to run out of fuel which really happened they had to make some readjustments Neil Armstrong genuinely had to readjust and they ended up landing quite a distance from where they originally planned it and they were getting really close to the point they had to abort that they would have had to have aborted the mission because then there wouldn't be enough fuel to take off again but in the movie they cut it down to just it, it was literally like like bomb disposal timing in a movie it was like three two and and we made it whereas in reality it was like he had 40 seconds left which is still just like 40 seconds of yeah, yeah. I think it was 40. It was around... It was something like 40 seconds in reality, which is still... That's dramatic enough. I don't think you need to... The moon landing is already incredibly dramatic. You don't need to cheat an extra 30 seconds out of how much fuel they had left. Yeah. It's like whenever there's a 10-second countdown in a movie and it lasts like three minutes of on-screen time, they just keep cutting back to a... Yeah. Like, I don't mind if it's a... I don't mind if it's a, story, if it's a Mission Impossible or something like that, and it really is like, all right, you've got... Because those films are a little tongue-in-cheek, and they are meant... You're just meant to be like, yeah. all right, there's... We know this is ridiculous. We know that what Tom Cruise has just done for the last 45 minutes to get to this point is absurd, but... So we're also going to ha- have him count down to the one second, and that's when he defuses the bomb. It's like, great, great, I'm, I'm all on board on that. But you fucking... Like, there are a few... And there are a few events that are better documented to the second than the moon landing. <laughs> right. Like, the Wikipedia page alone has it broken down in sort of seconds of, like, this is exactly what happened, and this is what fired at this point, and this is where they landed within within a meter. Yeah, I, I realized that when I was trying to write competitive erotic fan fiction about uh, Apollo 11 <laughs> for, for Brian Cook's show. It's a lot of detail to the, every hour of the trip. A lot of time to do to do space fucking in my fictional my yeah, slight was, fictionalization was, of one of the longest <laughs> one of the longest stories they've ever had. Yeah. So yeah, this Sophia thing. I'm glad. I'm glad about the Pluto um, discovery. I'm also just glad to know that this thing existed that I didn't know existed. It's a pretty cool, yeah. modified here, 747. Here we go. I looked it up. Information available to the crew and mission controllers showed that the lunar module had 
enough fuel for another 25 seconds of power flight before an abort without touchdown would have been unsafe. But post-mission analysis showed the real figure was probably closer to 50 seconds. Still very little time for that's very not little much time. room for error. Apollo yeah. 11 landed with less fuel than most subsequent missions, and the astronauts encountered a premature low-fuel warning. This was later found to be the result of greater propellant slosh than expected, uncovering a fuel sensor. On subsequent missions, extra anti-slosh baffles were added to the tanks to prevent this. I feel like I've read out this exact Wikipedia page having this exact rant when the film first came out. I don't remember it, but my memory's shit, so... But... Yeah, I, I, I kind of can't believe we didn't... I guess we lost someone in Apollo 1, but I can't believe we didn't lose anyone in, in actual moon, moon landings. It's just insane. Like, all the little things that could go wrong, and then suddenly... Like, imagine if you barely don't have enough fuel to get back off the lunar surface. Imagine that realization. Like, oh, okay, we're all dead. Yeah, we're right. just here as long as our food did they lasts. Have, right, did they have cyanide pills? I forgot. I don't think they did. Do you did. know, Matt? I don't believe Oof. they had cyanide pills. But they did, and we've definitely read this on the show before, they did have, there was a letter that was written for the president to read out if... Oh, yeah, got that's stuck on the chilling moon. to read, yeah. Like when, when newspapers already have eulogies ready to go for people at a certain age. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's nuts. But luckily, everyone also survived the modified 747 trip to look at Pluto, so... So it's all good. We learned so much. Yeah. Did you guys look at the video of Sophia in operation in that article? Um, I did not. I, I'm going to save that for later. Okay. <laughs> you got to save something. Yeah. Um, should we squeeze out one more story and then maybe do a Patreon bonus story? I like that idea. Yes. And, and also, while we're talking about that, we've got some people to... Th- we haven't thanked donors for a long time. Um, I think... Um, uh, should we thank some PayPal donors first? Yeah, and then why don't next episode when we do Patreon donors? Yeah, so PayPal donors, thank you very much to people who've gone to probablyscience.com and clicked on the PayPal donation link. Uh, thank you to uh, John Clarici, William Bagley, Destruction Lane, Trevor Hubbard, Lindsay Bacon, Jake Swenson, R.L. Kappa, Charles Tyler, Jacob Rochester, Becky Grady, David Geelan, Bryson Rhodes, Sean Gordon, Callum Gleason, Pandora Young, and Drew Chapman. Thank you very much, all of you, for helping us keep this thing going, particularly during these weird times. Yeah. Um... I got a few stories loaded up as possibilities. I don't know if you have a favorite or a thing in particular, or shall I just pick one? Go for it. Um, well, I quite I quite like this one when we're talking about the atmosphere, and I'll, I'll put it in the uh, document here. But Cold War nuclear testing may have caused extra rain around the world. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Interesting. I know ah. we're always wondering how to make extra rain I know that's been a hobby of both of ours is to um, control make it the rain and, yeah yeah. <laughs> and, and I know Kristen you've been you've been doing some nuclear tests and all the time out, just since I got my science hat but <laughs> and it just that science hat's really useful for nuclear tests as well you know you I just down over your face I just assumed that nuclear testing would have no weather related consequences but this article Seems it to is be unfortunate pointing in the mile. opposite direction that things happen when you test nuclears. <laughs> seems as that you way. Insist on putting it. <laughs> I tested three nuclears today, and it's been raining, Captain. <laughs> Three-eyed frogs. <laughs> <laughs> 
a new study has found that nuclear radiation during Cold War era weapons testing could have induced significant short-term changes in the amount of rainfall far across the globe. Um, I'm I'm not going to read out this little bit of editorializing from Ryan <laughs> Mandelbaum, but. Um, Weather is an extremely complex physics experiment with tons of variables that are hard to keep track of. In the case of rain, small water vapor droplets in the atmosphere collide and stick together, growing into clouds and eventually falling from the sky. But radiation can modify the electrical charges of the droplets, influencing how much they stick together. The study's first author, Giles, R. Giles Harrison, from the Department of Meteorology at the University of Reading in the UK, said weapons testing was a substantial perturbation in the atmospheric sense. This article's in Gizmodo. Um, the researchers compiled data from various sources, including the annual average of the atomic isotope strontium-90 in the atmosphere as recorded by the High Altitude Sampling Program. That sounds like that's another plane being flown around with some gadgets and gizmos and testing devices on it some instruments probably the um rival of sophia yeah. it's an airbus a380 <laughs> wonder how big their telescope is <laughs> they drink at the same bar after work and just glower at each other from across the bar <laughs> just occasionally meet across alleyways and snap their fingers while they yeah. dance um the uh so that samples the amount of charged atoms produced near Earth's surface during the late 50s and early 60s, and the electrical current between the air and Earth taken in London during the same period. All of these showed obvious increases in radioactivity and electrical activity during the early 60s, when there were a number of atmospheric nuclear tests around the world. While these tests didn't take place near the UK, the resulting radiation spread throughout the atmosphere. But did this increase in electrical activity affect rainfall? The team gathered cloud and rainfall data taken from the Lowick Observatory in Shetland in Scotland. They observed in the data that clouds were significantly thicker during this period and that when it did rain, there was, there was 24% more precipitation. While the researchers couldn't nail down the exact mechanism, they posited that the more radioactivity and electrical charge in water droplets affected how the droplets merged together and grew. Perhaps it's not such a surprise that radiation from weapons testing could cause impacts from far away. For example, steel produced around the world after World War II contains more radioactive isotopes than pre-World War II steel as a result hmm. of weapons testing. I did not know that. Um, well, we, had, we had that story last week about the fact that you can find... Um, now I'm forgetting what, but... Um, what nuclear testing byproducts that can be found? How do I forget our own stories so quickly? Anyhow, go ahead, Matt. <laughs> Uh, so, Roloff Brinches, who is a project scientist at the National Center for Atmospheric uh, Research, I missed that last word there for a second, who was not involved in the study, rival scientist here, told Gizmodo that the paper certainly was present presented an interesting concept from a reputable group, and there's likely truth to it, but he would not say it's definitive. Just say it's definitive, Roloff. Right it's on. happening. Stop it with your hedging. In your science. It shows a certain trend that needs to be explored further, he said. The paper relies on lots of disparate sources of data from six decades ago. It's possible there was just a weird coincidental weather fluke at the same time as the nuclear testing. But, he said, it certainly calls for more research in the area. After all, we already know that particles released by plants and humans can impact the growth of clouds, he said. But, uh, but there is still a whole lot we don't know about the cloud-forming process. Harrison told Gizmodo he hopes that further experiments with weather balloons or other instruments can study droplets coalescing into clouds in more detail. 
Ultimately, understanding the effects of radiation or electric charge on cloud formation could be important for scientists researching geoengineering or other technology to affect the effects of to address the effects of climate change. But says Brunchers, we need to understand single clouds before we can begin to talk about global scale projects to alter weather. That's what I always say, Matt. Think think single cloudedly. Act <laughs> or no wait, think act hold on a second. <laughs> You'll get act, it. Think atmospherically. Act single-cloudedly. There we go. That's what the bumper stickers all say, I'm pretty sure. That is what your bumper sticker has said for, for many years. Yeah. <laughs> Baffling huge numbers of us, but now we know why. Right? Well, next time I do my rain dance, I will not have a rain stick. I will have my rain plutonium. Yes, <laughs> yes. exactly. Ain't nobody going to criticize your rain dance next time. <laughs> nope, not with my science hat on. <laughs> Are you friends with the Libyans from Back to the Future, Kristen? It's the Libyans! The Libyans! <laughs> <laughs> Who isn't? Yeah. You know what, though? It is also raining during that scene. Oh, yeah. It's kind of wet wet concrete. Wet they were asphalt. making it rain. They were. God, what a perfect movie. Have you guys rewatched it now that's on Netflix? Have I haven't about seen this? it on Netflix. We re-watched we re- oh. re- uh, an outdoor screening of it last summer. So I have all three on a hard drive just because... They're great. Well, watch them on Netflix because it's also like a super high quality transfer. It's really amazing. Okay. Yeah, you were saying the other day that it looks, it's startling that this film you recognize as look, having a sort of 1980s look to it now looks like it could have been filmed yesterday. It has that sharpness. Of- it's Because cr- it's also, they, it was a period movie at the time or a combination modern and 50s. So now it just looks like it's shot today, but a period movie about the 80s and the 50s where they're just dressing up current people in the outfits. Like it's just, it's... Right, it was filmed in 2019 and they had their 1980 right. set and then their 1950s set. Right, right. It's so crazy. And I mean, of course, that's what it would have looked like in the theaters, and which I saw it that way too. So it's... It's just the same way that your brain sort of like, we all know things weren't black and white back in the day, but you sort of still think they were, you know? Oh, yeah. Or, like, or at least so the Civil War, even if, even the blood wasn't black red. And white, just like a sort of browner color. Right. Because photos like, from back then just eat, and prints just had a sort of just vaguely less colorful sheen to them. But you see, like, a picture of a Civil War battlefield and the dead there, and it's just not as shocking because the dead people are in black and white. And you sort of can't get it in your head that if you were there, the red would be, it would, you would be vomiting uncontrollably. And, you know, it's just as horrifying as seeing a person who's been shot to death today. Yeah, what it's was just, that? Did you see that Peter Jackson documentary? Um, about what? Um, uh, it is um, where they updated. Uh, for the um, they, they they updated a whole load of World War One footage. Oh, like they colorized it or by yeah, hand, or and, and sort of changed the timing of it and everything. It was great. Oh no, that's interesting. Yeah, anytime they have like well, early we, we early should. color things, it's like World War Two in color. That stuff is crazy. We should wrap up while I while I look we up should, the name yes. of this film. Kristen, where, where can our listeners find you and all the multiple things that you've done? Oh, you can find me at uh, my website. It's kristenkey.com or Instagram is the Kristen Key, and it's Kristen with two eyes. And uh, uh, every Monday I do a Mad Mondays where I do a uh, a Mad Libs with a comedian. Last week I had Matt on, and then sure on did. Wednesdays oh, nice. I'm starting this thing called. Uh, Wednesday window watching where I have guests come on a zoom and I get to look inside their homes. Nice. Um, so, I like that. They shall not grow old is the name of the documentary that I was trying to think of. It was from the year before last. 
It's great. Oh, I'll check it out. Um, you can find us at probablyscience.com in, and at probablyscience on Twitter. You can find us individually at Andy T. Wood and at Matt Kirshen. Probablyscience.com is also where you'll find the show notes, the links to the stories we've covered, and our donation button. Please, uh, thank you very much, everyone who's donated. You can also uh, spread the word and say nice things about us, write nice things on iTunes and all of those kind of places. And uh, I'm going to say nice things. Do it. Oh, yeah, give us nice yeah. things, all that good stuff. Yeah. But in the meantime, thank you so much, Kristen, for joining us. Oh, what a fun podcast. I learned so much today. And uh, listeners, we will see you next time. 